Well, hello again. Hello again. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. It's so good to be together this morning with each one of the Bible. There's one Bible to Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. Um, Matthew chapter 19. It's toward the middle of the book, a little past the middle of the book. Matthew 19, and then once you get there, hold that spot and flip to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the very beginning. That's the easier one to find. All the way at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Hold Matthew 19, flip to Genesis chapter 3. Today's a great day to be together. Um, This this is a great day. I'm excited about today. Um, There's a game that is happening today that I can't say the name of it legally. Um, Copyright issues, but that's not why I'm excited. Um, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about what's happening in this room. I'm excited because today is the first day of this new series where we're looking at really ultimately is a pursuit of Jesus, a pursuit of Jesus. Now, I just told you what the message is so you can do with that as you want. That's what this is, a pursuit of Jesus. Now, if you found Genesis chapter 3, let's read Here, Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now flip to Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, beginning in verse 16, and behold, a man came to him saying, teacher, what good Good deed must I do to have eternal life. And and he said to him, he being Jesus, said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. God, I pray that you would speak Speak to us this morning, reveal to us what you have for us to see, give us eyes to see 
ears to hear, God, give us hearts to receive what you are saying to this church, to your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. I think it's funny that the very first sin involves food. I think it's interesting that, that it involves food. Uh, Adam and Eve are given the command, one command, do not eat of this one tree. The only thing that was, was off limits to them, the only thing that they couldn't do was to eat this one tree, but they saw it. They saw it and they were enticed. They, they had to, to eat. Eve, it says that she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes, that it, was, it looked good for food, and it was something to be desired to make one wise. She saw the, the tree, and she saw the fruit, and she was enticed. They couldn't resist. So my questions this morning, my questions this morning, what exactly was the first temptation? What exactly was the first sin? I think it's easy for us to look at it and say, well, the first temptation was the fruit, the first sin was eating it, right? Sure. But what is, what is the actual sin? Because the, the act of eating it was a, a giving in to something. So what we could say, we could say that it was, it was rebellion against God, and it was. We could say that the first sin was rebellion against God. We could say that the first sin was, was, was disobedience against God's commands, and it was. We could say that the first temptation was that, uh, that this tree, just, the fruit just looked too good. It was just too enticing. We could, we could say that the first temptation was that, that they were both just really, really hungry and they just really needed this fruit. They, we could say that that was the first temptation. But, but I propose to you that the first temptation was not simply that the fruit looked good. The first temptation was this lie that there is something that can satisfy you apart from God, that God has something for you, that there is something in this world that can satisfy, there's something in this world that can fulfill, there's something in this world that you need, that you should desire, that can satisfy, that can fulfill, and God is keeping that from you. That's the first temptation, is that God is not good enough to give you everything. He's withholding from you. There's something that can satisfy apart from him. That's the first temptation. The first sin was not simply disobedience. The first sin was simply pursuit, pursuit of satisfaction outside of God. The first sin was Adam and Eve pursuing to be satisfied by something other than God. He had given them everything, and he was with them to satisfy them, to fulfill them, to be with them. And they said, no, no, no I think there's something else that can satisfy. And they pursued that thing that they thought could satisfy them apart from God. That is what I believe is the first Sin, the pursuit of satisfaction and fulfillment outside of God. And ever since this moment in the garden, man has heard this lie that there is something out there that can satisfy. There is something that can fulfill you apart from God. Ever since this moment, we as humanity 
have been lied to by the enemy, the same serpent who was in the garden in Genesis 3 and who was telling them that there is something that can satisfy, there is something that can fulfill, there is something that will make you better, there is something that will give you what you really need, there is something that will be all that you need it to be. That same serpent, that same lie is being told to us over and over and over again. And the sad thing is we believe it the same as they did. We believe the same lie that there is satisfaction apart from God. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that there are physical satisfactions. I I get that. I'm I'm not here saying that you can't be satisfied in any way. You can. There is no ultimate satisfaction. Because that, that, that wears off, right? That, that goes away. That moment, that, that moment of instant gratification is gone almost as quickly as it was there, right? The pleasure, that joy, that fulfillment that you feel in this moment is, is gone almost immediately. But as the psalmist said, at your right hand, God, at, at your right hand is the fullness of joy. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore that there is fullness. There is satisfaction only in God. But we... Believe this lie that there is satisfaction, that there is fulfillment apart from God, and we are constantly going after it. And because it is only momentary, because it only lasts for a little while, we have to continue to go back to it. We have to continue to go back for more. We have to continue to pursue more, more next time than there was this last time. It's the law of diminishing returns. What, what, what it took to feel this this time is not going to work for next time. You have to have a little bit more. That's what happens with this lie that there is satisfaction apart from God is that you have to continue to pursue something else and you will never quite feel satisfied. And it's not, it's not that those things themselves are necessarily bad. I'm not just saying that we immediately jump to these awful, horrible things. Sometimes it is good things. Sometimes they are good things that we pursue for our satisfaction. But Timothy Keller says that when we, when we make good things the main things, they become idols and we give them the place of God in our lives and they become sinful, even though the thing itself is not sinful. When we put it at a place that it doesn't belong, when we give it a, a place of priority in our lives that it doesn't deserve, it becomes sinful for us. This lie that there is satisfaction and fulfillment somewhere other than God leads us to continue to pursue those things apart from Him. It may start with one thing that, that maybe even is a good pursuit and it gets elevated from a good thing to a main thing and, and over time it grows from, from just simply one thing that we pursue to a collection of pursuits, a collection of, of pursuits that completely eclipse our pursuit of God. And I'm not saying that we can't enjoy things and I'm not saying that we can't pursue success and I'm not saying that we can't pursue the things that, that, that are there for our benefit, for our good, for our joy. 
I'm not saying that. But when we begin to pursue them and the pursuit of those things eclipse the pursuit of God, it becomes wrong. What happens is over time, this collection of pursuits becomes a collection of possessions, a collection of things that we love, things that we need, things that we desire, things that we feel we need to survive, to live, to be happy, things that we lean on. Things that we hold on to. And eventually, if everything is left unchecked, we wind up like the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus because his possessions were too great. I want you to think of how absurd that actually is. Poor kid. I mean, think of how absurd that actually is. This man was face to face with Jesus. And he heard the the call to follow him from the lips of Jesus himself. And he turned and walked away. That he heard the call from Jesus himself right face to face. And he still turned and walked away because something he had he thought was better than that. How crazy is that? How wild is that that this man thought that these possessions were so great that he walked away from Jesus himself? I mean, think about this situation. It wasn't just simply that he saw Jesus and Jesus was like, hey, follow me. And he was like, no, nah, I'm good. He went to Jesus and said, hey, I, I, I want to know what do I have to do to have eternal life? There was something inside of him that desired more. There was something inside of him that felt something was missing. He had these great possessions. He, he did, apparently did everything that the law tells you to do. According to him, he did everything the law tells you to do, and still he felt that something was missing. See, I, I, I want to be clear with this. The answer to the answer to this missing hole, this missing piece, is not religion. The answer to this missing piece is not religion, it is not possessions, it is not things, it is simply. Jesus, because this guy, he, he had everything, he, he had great possessions, he, he was doing all of the right things, and still he felt like something was missing. What, what else do I, what, what else am I missing? I don't, I don't know what I'm missing here. And Jesus is like, I got it. Go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Get, go sell everything and give it to the poor and come follow me. 
And this feels like a, a very intense thing for us, right? This feels like a very intense situation for us, and it's something that, that we try to justify our way out of it, right? And we tiptoe around the situation by, by saying something along the lines of, well, God doesn't really want you to give up everything. God doesn't really, he's not really asking you to sell everything and give up everything and follow him. He just wants to know that you're willing to. What does that even mean? The only way you know you're willing to is if you actually do it. Because I could say right now that I'm willing to do it, but I guarantee you in that moment, I'm at least going to go, well, right? Now, I, I want to be clear just so all of you can, can loosen up a bit. God is not asking you to give up everything probably. This story in Matthew 19 was not to you. It was to this specific man to address an issue that was going on inside of him. So you can unclench, you can relax a minute. I'm not asking you to sell everything and give it to the poor and then go follow. No, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But the reality is, if Jesus were to stand in front of you and say, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, the response is not for you to allegorize what he's saying, for it to mean that you simply need to prioritize him in your quiet time, read more scripture and pray more. That's not what it means. What it means is you go sell everything, you give it to the poor, and you follow him. But what we do is we put, we put rules on it. We put, we put spiritual rituals on top of things instead of just simply going after him. That is our problem. Because we, as much as we might not want to admit it, we are like that rich young ruler. You may say, hey, I, you know, I don't have anything that's that great. I don't either, but I guarantee you, I can look at things in my life and be like, well, I don't know that I could give that up. I don't know that I could give that up. I don't think I could give that up, right? Have you ever felt that way? Let me ask you this question. This is, this is another one that's going to hit a button probably. Um, when, when, you, uh, when you heard we were fasting, was your response, well, I can't give up food for 21 days. Was that your response? Probably. Right? Absolutely. That is what I mean. We have desires. We have pursuits. We have things within us that we're like, oh, no, I can't give that up. No, I can't give that up. We are really no better than this, this rich young ruler. We just have not been face to face with Jesus and heard him say, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. We've not had that call. We've just had the follow me call like the rest of the, the disciples. That's an easier call, right? But it is because, it is because we are really in the same boat as the rich young ruler to where we, we are probably in that place where we are headed toward that thing because that is the natural state of all humanity to get to the point where we would say, oh, I, I don't know. I have these great things. I mean, you listen to it. He said that he was sorrowful. He didn't walk away and go, all right, my hands are clean. I tried. He was sorrowful because he, he wanted to walk with Jesus. Think about that. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted what Jesus had. He wanted all of that, but there was something else that stood in the way. There was another desire that stood in the way. There was another pursuit that stood in the way. There was something else that stood in the way of him walking with Jesus intimately. That is why. That is why we have to periodically 
intentionally take a moment to stop, shut everything else out and say, nope, forget those desires, forget those pursuits. What I really want is Jesus. We have to intentionally stop and say, everything else can fade away. What I really want is Jesus. If we do not check our desires, if we do not check our possessions, if we do not check those pursuits of our lives, we will end up in the same place as this rich young ruler where we are more concerned about the things that we have, more concerned about the things that we do, more concerned about all of those things than we are of Jesus. And I promise you most of us are probably already closer to this than we are here, right? I am. I throw myself in there, not you. I'm not going to put anything on you that isn't true. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we intentionally set aside our pursuits and our desires to then say, no, I really, really want Jesus? One way you do that is through prayer and fasting. One way you do that is through fasting. Now, I know a lot of us, we, we hesitate at the thought of fasting. Uh, we hesitate at the thought of fasting because, uh, because we, we're not real sure what it is. We know that it's something the Bible talks about. We know that it's this intense moment, right? We know that it's something that is very, uh, very intense. And so we, we, we kind of avoid it because we're not real sure what it is. So uh, for the next few minutes, I just want to explain what fasting is and then what our focus during fast should be. But first, I want to take just a second to explain what fasting is not. What fasting is not, just to clear up a few uh, misconceptions about fasting. Fasting is not simply abstaining from food. It is not just simply saying, I'm not going to eat. That's not, that's not what fasting is. Fasting is, is more than that. That is a diet. Or maybe it's starvation. Either way, it's miserable. That is, not what, that is not what fasting is. Fasting is much more than just simply saying, I'm not going to eat food, all right? That's, it's more than that. It is simply, simply abstaining from food is a sign of willpower, but it is not a spiritual act. It is nothing that is fasting, okay? So that's, that's number one. The fasting is not simply abstaining from food. Fasting is not a way to look more spiritual, Fasting is not a way to look more spiritual. It is a discipline. It is something that will push and stretch your body. It is something that will do something in your spirit that will help you actually be closer to Jesus. It will do something for you in your spirit, but it is not a way to look more spiritual. That's what Jesus addressed in in Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, in verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret or sees in secret will reward you openly. He was speaking to the 
heart behind fasting? What is your motivation for fasting? It cannot be for anybody else to see. It has to be something that is within, not out, right? It has to be internal, not external. It has to be for me, not you. So the tendency is to make a show of it so that people see how great you are. The tendency is for us to say, well, I'm giving up for this, these 21 days. I'm giving up this and this. It doesn't matter what we're giving up, really. I mean, to you, it doesn't matter what I'm giving up. It's not about you. But what we want to do is we want to be like the, the, the Pharisee in Luke 18 who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. Instead, I, I fast twice a week and I tithe 10% of everything I have. I thank you that I'm not like him. That's what we want to do with our, our acts of sacrifice, right? That's not what this is about. This is not to, to appear to those around us that we are more spiritual or that we are, or, are more holy or that we are, are better in any way. That is not what this is about, okay? I know you're not going into it like this. I know that. I'm just wanting to be, be clear for, for somebody else who may. The next thing, fasting is, not, fasting is not a way to get God to do what you want. Fasting is not, he's not a genie. It's not like rubbing the genie lamp to get him to come out and grant you three wishes. That's not what fasting is. Fasting is not a way for you to, to be this transactional, God, I did this, now you do this. And he does desire that we bring things to him, and we'll talk about that later, but, 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 but that's not what this is about. This is not about him getting him to do things for us. This is not a way to, to manipulate him. That is not what this is about. So what is fasting? If that's what fasting is not, what is fasting? In short, fasting is abstaining for a spiritual purpose. It's abstaining for a spiritual purpose. It is, it is saying that I am, I, am, I am abstaining from this for this spiritual purpose. It is the physical act of saying no to self so that we can say yes to God. It is the, the act of denying my desires, denying my pursuits, denying those things that are, are within me so that I can say, no, what I really, really want is Jesus. That's what fasting is. John Piper said that fasting is the hungry handmaiden of prayer who both reveals and remedies. She reveals the measure of food's mastery over us or TV, or computers, or whatever we submit to over and over again and again to conceal the weakness of our hunger for God. And she remedies by intensifying the earnestness of our prayer and saying with our whole body what prayer says with our heart, that I long to be satisfied by God alone. Part of fasting is the declaration that I long to be satisfied by God alone. That I long to be satisfied and fulfilled by Him alone. That all of the things of this life, of this world, can come and go. All I really need, all I really want is Jesus. That we look at our desires, we look at our pursuits, and we say, you know what, I, I, maybe I want this, but I'm going to sit this over here because right now what I really want is Jesus. That when we feel the, the hunger pangs, right, 
Because when you don't eat for a while, you start to get hungry and you start to feel that, that rumble. You start to feel that ache inside of you and it, and it comes back over and over again. And so what this is, is that we feel this desire within us. We feel this hunger within us and we intentionally say, you know what, God? Yes, I do want food, but I want you. Or maybe some of us will simply need to say, I really want food, God. But what I want is to want you. What I want is to desperately want you. When was the last time you longed for Jesus the way you long for a steak? When was the last time you went to your Bible and you were salivating the way that you do on your way to your favorite restaurant to eat your favorite meal? When was the last time you were desperate for Jesus the way you were desperate for something? That is what we're trying to do here. Is, is not, it's not to just look good. It's not this act to whatever. It is to remind ourselves that we should want Jesus that strongly. That intensely, that is what fasting is, is, is the declaration that I want these things, but what I really want is you, or for some of us, I want these things, but what I really want is to want you that badly, to want you that strongly, to want you that intensely. See, fasting is not simply replacing our, our time spent in one action now given to God. That's, that's not what fasting is, okay? I, I didn't throw that in there earlier, but that's not what fasting is. Fasting is not simply saying, okay, now instead of eating a, a meal, I'm going to pray, because the reality is we have this much time of our day spent eating. We can eat in minutes. Actually, you can pray while you eat. That's crazy. It is, it is more than that. It is more than replacing the time you would spend on this activity or in this pursuit now spent with God. It is something deeper than that. There is supposed to be a pain. There is supposed to be a hunger. There is supposed to be a hurt that is a reminder to you that what I really need is Jesus. That is what fasting is supposed to be. You are supposed to feel the hunger pangs. You are supposed to feel the intensity in your stomach. You are supposed to feel that to be a reminder for you to say, you know what, Jesus, I really, really, really want you. When was the last time we felt that intensely about Jesus? Part of fasting is trading satisfaction in the things of this world for satisfaction in God alone. Another part of fasting is the, the disciplining of your body to not allow yourself to be controlled by your desires. It's what we see in Matthew 19. This rich young ruler was controlled by those things that he pursued, those things that he had. Part of fasting is disciplining your body to not allow yourself to be controlled. Richard Foster says that, that more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. 
If you don't think you're controlled by food, let me ask you this. Do you get hangry? Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. Ask your spouse or your parents or your siblings or your friends, do I get hangry? Give them the grace to be honest with you. Right? When we're hungry, we're not quite ourselves. I mean, Snickers actually did a whole, a whole series of commercials on this. I mean, they had Betty White playing football. The whole slogan was, you're not yourself when you're hungry. That was the whole, the whole slogan. They had, they had Betty White playing football, and at the end, they're like, you are not yourself. You eat this. And then there was, there was another one where Joe Pesci was in there talking to these two girls, and in true Joe Pesci form, he lost his temper, and he started yelling at these girls. And his friend was like, dude, you need to eat this. You are not yourself when you're hungry. And then he ate, and he turned into someone else, right? How many times has that been us? How many times has that been you that you are hungry, and so you are not yourself? I, I promise you, you are more controlled by your food than you think you are. Regardless of being hungry or hangry, look at your stomach. You don't get like this if you're not controlled by food a little bit. This doesn't just happen. We are controlled by our appetites. There is something within us that we, we are supposed to be hungry. We're supposed to eat. That, I mean, that's a, that's a thing, right? I mean, we have this, these, these hormones within us that cause us to remember that we're hungry so that we will pursue food because we have to have food to live. I, I understand that. But, but what happens is we are controlled by that desire. We are controlled by that longing. We are controlled by that substance more than we are controlled by God himself and our desire for him. It seems silly, but we are, most of us are controlled by our appetites. That's why we say, oh, I can't give up food for 21 days. And then we justify it. But anyways, I'm not going to go there. Anyways, so what should we fast from, right? What should we fast from over these, these next few, few weeks if you're going to join us with this? What should we fast from? What is it in, in fasting? You know, uh, typically, historically, uh, fasting has been food. In the Bible, when they fasted, they fasted from food. They didn't eat. That was, that was what a fast is. Uh, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the, the great preacher from the, the early 1900s, said that fasting, that fasting should, be, should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some spiritual purpose. See, fasting can be giving up food. That is fasting. Fasting can be giving up something for a spiritual purpose. But notice the word he said in there, something that is legitimate, something that is significant, something that is, something that is important. So I, I want to caution you. I want to caution you to fast from something other than food just simply with this. Make sure it is legitimate. Make sure that it is actually something that will be a sacrifice. If you spend 26 minutes on your phone, don't give up your phone and think it's a fast. 
that affects you, none. And therefore, it is not a sacrifice. Fasting needs to be a sacrifice. David said, I will offer nothing to God that does not cost me something. Fasting is a sacrifice. It has to cost us something. There has to be some hunger. There has to be some longing. There has to be some pain within us from whatever we are giving up. If it is not a sacrifice, then great, give it up maybe if you can. Maybe you're better off without it, but it is not a fast. I'm just going to be blunt with that. All right? It should cost us something. And I, I know the, the thought of giving up food, if you haven't ever fasted, and now we're saying 21 days, I know the thought of food is, whoa, that's way too intense. I can't do that. I, I get that. I understand that. Don't, don't think that I, I'm trying to pressure you into this or trying to, to convict you into this or uh, anything like that. That is not what, I'm, what, what I'm, I'm going for. And I know some of you have medical concerns that you can lean back on, and I, I get that. I understand that. But, but let me ask you a question. When, when you go to the doctor for blood work, what do they have you do? They have you fast. There's no disease. There's no illness. There's no sickness that is so intense that you can't go a little while without food. Maybe not the whole 21 days. Maybe that's too intense for you, but you can go a little while without food, right? Either way, no matter where you are, there is something in your life that will be a sacrifice. There will be something or there is something in everyone's life apart from food that is a sacrifice. Maybe you spend way too much time on video games. Maybe you spend way too much time on TV. Maybe you spend way too much time on social media. Maybe you spend way too much time doing all of these things, and it is a sacrifice for you to not do that. The, the Gen Z, right, one of the big things uh, that, that they, they struggle with is this thing, or I guess millennials struggle with FOMO, right, the fear of missing out. Gen Z now, now struggles with FOBO, which is the fear of better options, Right, that's, that's fun, right? That's, what, that's where we are. We, we struggle with, with something else right? There's this anxiety within us. Maybe, maybe that is what we need to do. We need to, we need to adjust our social calendar for a little bit. There is something that each one of us can give up. Whatever you choose to give up, all I ask is that you, that you make it something that is a sacrifice. Make it something that is challenging. Make it something that does cause some longing in you, not because I, I want you to suffer, because I don't want you to suffer. <clears throat> A fast is not about suffering. I don't, I don't want you to suffer, but what I want desperately, what I want desperately is for each one of you to long for Jesus. Long before anybody was in this room, I was walking through the chairs, and I was praying for each person that would be sitting in these seats, and some of you I know where you sit and so I was, when I got to your spot, I was praying for you individually, specifically called your name out. And my prayer for each one of us, not you, each one of us, is that we would so desperately long for Jesus over everything else. 
that is my desire. Not that we struggle, not that we suffer, not that we do some cool ritual, not that we look religious, not that we can tell anybody else, oh, I did this for Jesus, but that we long for Jesus, no matter what that means for us. Even if it's not giving anything up, but we, we have this fight, sorry, they have this fire ignited within us that we long for him above everything else. That's my prayer. That is my desire. See, these next 21 days, I'm not asking for everybody to give anything up over the next 21 days. That's not my, that's not my, my, my call here. That's not my, 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 my request from you. That's not my challenge for you is that you give anything up. I don't really care if you give anything up. What I care is that we long for Jesus, that we begin to long for Jesus. So what I am asking all of us to do is that we take these next 21 days and begin to pursue Jesus. I said at the beginning of the year that, that the way that we will, moving forward, the way that we will, uh, we will live out our mission of making more and better followers of Jesus is that we will pursue Jesus and bring people along with us. This is the pursue Jesus part of this. This is a way for us to intentionally begin right now saying, you know what, what I really, really want is Jesus. I'm telling my body, I'm telling everything external, everything internal, that what I really want is Jesus. That is what these next 21 days are. That is what I'm challenging every one of us to, is that we pursue Jesus over these next 21 days. If you want to take that up a little bit, you want to be a little more intense, you, you, I would say you, you do give up something for these next 21 days, whatever that looks like for you. You work that out in your heart. You work that out with with God. Whatever that looks like for you, you sacrifice something for the sake of telling your body, of bringing your body, as Paul said in in Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, where he said that I I beat my body and I discipline it so that I may, when I have preached the gospel, I will not fail, right? I will not be disqualified. That we bring our body into subjection to Jesus, that we bring our desires into subjection to Jesus. That, that is what, what, what we are doing over these next 21 days. And then what I, I am asking everybody in here, if you're willing, if you're able, if you're interested in this, is that over the next 21 days that we give up lunch on Wednesday. So for three weeks, there's three meals. We can do that, Right? Three weeks, give up meals on Wednesday. Just not meals, lunch on Wednesday. Now we, we go, and, I, and what I'm saying, I don't, don't hear me say eat at, uh, at 10.30, a big breakfast, and then an early dinner at, at 3. That's not what I'm saying. That we actually give up that meal for the sake of saying what I really want is Jesus. Let yourself experience that. Let yourself experience that longing, that hurt, and then tell your body, tell your body that, that, no, what I really want is Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about pursuing Jesus through prayer, and the next week, we're going to talk about pursuing Jesus through scripture, but, but this week, we're, we're talking about pursuing Jesus by this simple denial of self. As Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself. This isn't a transactional thing. 
This isn't a transactional thing where we, where we say, God, I did this, now you do this. But what I am saying over these next few weeks is that each one of us that are joining in with this as we pray, as we go on this, I, I, I will say that one of the things I want all of us to do is have a couple things that we are praying for. A couple desires that we're asking God to move in. My mom, you heard her. I, I'm sorry I didn't actually put her name on the video that you saw that she was my mom. It was just some random woman that you've never seen. Um, I realized that as I was sitting back here. I was like, oh, they don't even know who this is. Um, but my mom, in the video, I had to cut him out because there was too much time. But my mom tells stories of Stories of what God has done in my family. This isn't, this isn't something that we read in a book. This is something that we experienced. That my family, my mom and my dad, determined that they were going to pray for me, specifically for 21 days, before they cut me off. Now, that's a different story, but... God does move, and he does work. So I challenge you, have something that you go to God and say, God, I want you to move in this situation. Let that hunger, let that pain drive you to say, God, I need you to work in this situation. I need you to move in this situation. And then all of us collectively, I, I want us to pursue Jesus, that we go after him, that we long for him. In John chapter 17, in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for his, actually he's praying for the people. He's praying for all the people and in this, I, I, it's such a, a thing that, that God has just spoken to me, and I'm man, it is, it is real to me. He says in there that I, I want them to have life, and he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you. That is my prayer for each one of us, is that we know God. That at the end of these 21 days, whether God answers any other prayer for us, that at the end of these 21 days, that each one of us would say, no, I know him a little more deeply. Fasting is dying to self, as we've talked about the last few weeks, right, in Romans 12. Dying to self so that we can actually live through knowing him. That's what fasting is. I'm so excited about these next 21 days. I believe God is going to do something great. I believe God has um, wonderful, wonderful things planned for us. And so my, 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 I guess my question to you right now as we end, as we close this morning, is will you join me? Over these next 21 days, will you join me to pursue Jesus? Will you, at the very least today, and we start tomorrow, so you have today to work through what am I going to sacrifice, should I sacrifice, am I going to sacrifice, what is that? Work through that today. Will you at least pray about that today? 
And then will you join me over these next 21 days as we pursue Jesus together? I, I believe wholeheartedly this is going to be a game changer for us. I really do. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that we would hunger for you. I pray that we would desire you over everything else. God, we do just love you this morning. Speak to us, reveal to us over these next few weeks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I want to read a passage as we are about to be dismissed, I promise. I know I'm longer than not really the normal, but anyways. Um, I, I want to I read a passage here in James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, it says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This morning, uh, Bill is, is coming. Bill Ryan is, is coming for us to pray over him, the elders, to pray for him. So I, I read this so we see that this is, this is a biblical thing, that if you're sick, you, you come before the, the church asking the elders to pray for you, and we will pray for you. And we can believe that God will do what God wants to do, right? Amen. We believe that God will do what God wants to do. And so we're, we're going to pray. I'm going to have the elders come uh, as, as we pray for, for Bill, for Janet this morning, that God would, would use this, that God would heal, that God would, as he says, heal the sick. So what I ask all of you to do, where, just where you're, where you're seated, would you just raise your hand forward and just pray with, pray with us this morning as we pray for, for Bill. God, I, I thank you so much that you are the same God who spoke this world into existence. God, that you are the same one who created Bill yeah, that you are not caught off guard by anything that is wrong, anything that is happening, anything that is ailing him. You are not caught off guard by that and that you are the same God who can heal. And so, God, we, we pray that you would be with, with Bill right now. You would give him confidence as he goes into the, the, the hospital today, God, that you would move in this situation, God, that you would touch his foot, that you would be with the doctors, you would use them, use medicine, use all of these procedures, God, to restore health and energy and life to him. God, I thank you for his heart. I thank you for his 
passion, his determination to give you glory, to pursue you. And I, I pray that you would give him confidence and peace right now. And God, I pray for, for Janet that you would give her peace. That you would give her grace. That you would give her help. Give her encouragement. God, I pray that right now you would be with both of them. You would wrap your arms around them and their kids and grandkids. God, that you would wrap your arms around all of them to let everyone know that you are in control, that you are the God who holds all of this world in your hand. And we can trust you. God, I thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can trust you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand with me and receive this benediction this, this morning? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think. To him be all glory in the church. Amen and amen. Go in peace. We'll see you next week.